Triple F Podcast, where we're focused on fashion, fitness, and of course food. This podcast is all about bringing these three parts of your life together to help you get the most out of your passions. We're here to help you look your best, feel great, and also indulge in some maybe not so hidden temptations. <laughs> we are by no means experts in any of these fields, but we do hope to bring people to the show who know what they're talking about and can help you with some of these aspects of your life. You only live once, so why not live a life worth living? On the show today, we have Susan Garcia Trishman, the executive director of Kurt's Cafe. At Kurt's Cafe, you'll find freshly brewed coffee, homemade pastries, inspired sandwiches, soups, and salads in a warm and welcoming home away from home, if you will. They strive to use local products and vendors, and they make everything possible from scratch. They offer free Wi-Fi and space for community meetings, book clubs, knitting greetings, you name it. Just call the cafe for more info. Their student trainees, 15 through 24 years, are living in at-risk situations such as having contact with the judicial system or are homeless, food insecure, or have dropped out of school. They are determined to build a positive future for themselves. For these young adults, being able to get a hold of a job and contribute immeasurably towards their success. Their program at Kurtz is unique and much needed. Proven at-risk or formerly incarcerated young adults have few resources available to them. Even short confined dramatically affects one's ability to thrive outside incarceration. With little hope of securing employment, even for entry-level positions, many end up living on the streets and return to destructive habits. Second through the courts, 86% of those released are sent back to the system within three years. We all pay the price for such recidivism. For our sake and theirs, it makes sense to direct these young adults towards a secure and productive future. At Kurtz, they provide the opportunity by teaching marketable skills and then assisting in securing employment. They teach culinary techniques, but also provide instruction they will need to fill in educational gaps, gain confidence, and become job ready. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Susan Garcia Trishman of Kurtz Cafe. Today we're sitting down with Susan Garcia Trishman at the one and only Bites Tapas. How are you doing today, Susan? I'm great. How are you? Oh, just enjoying myself, you know? Good. Here we have this conversation here where it's in a nice little fun place where we're talking about food and cafes, etc. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and tell us what you do in one to two sentences. Sure. I'm the founder and executive director of an organization called Kurtz Cafe, where we work with highly at-risk young adults and teach them life and job skills and then help them get jobs. It's a pretty big undertaking. What was your kind of background into that? Did you kind of come from a food background? Did you come from helping underprivileged kids and kind of decide you want to open your own restaurant? What was kind of the feedback on that? What was the decision-making steps you got to get where you are now? It, it, it's, it was a bigger undertaking than I even realized. Mm-hmm. Had I realized it, I'm not 100% sure I would have had the guts <laughs> to do it, but I would have had the passion to do it. So I have a food service background. Mm-hmm. I've been in restaurants since I was 13, and okay. I love, love, love the food industry. Mm-hmm. I love what we do. I love the um, opportunities we create for people. Mm-hmm. I love like when people will come into my restaurants, like creating an experience for them. I think everything we do in the food service industry is magical. Mm-hmm. So I loved it and I did it for a long time until I was probably 45, at, um, until I was 50. When I was 25, I opened a 
catering company with my sister Nancy and my brother-in-law Kurt. Okay. We call, it's called Food for Thought. We, they still, or Nancy still has, has it. Oh, actually. And we grew it from a really small, like just the three of us. Actually, the um, anniversary of our first year, we had no money. We never had money. Mm -hmm. We started with $300, and we were catering this big event in a house, which is big air quotes around that one. <laughs> and we pulled into the alley of the house. It was in Chicago, and the van died. And so Nan sat in the seat, and Kurt and I pushed the van, and Nan was waving to the customer like, here we are. <laughs> and Kurt and I are in the back pushing, and Nan waitressed. Kurt bartended, I cooked, mm -hmm. and then we all, Nan jumped back in the van, and Kurt and I pushed it out of the alley and parked it, and that was our one-year anniversary. I mean, we were, <laughs> we were dirt poor, um, no one knew us, we didn't know anyone, but we came up with this name, Food for Thought, because we knew it was a catchy phrase, oh, yeah, and so did. people would say, I've heard of you, and it's like, you haven't, it's a it's a phrase, but we'll go with it, and so we <laughs> got our industry, <laughs> yeah, it was the same kind of thing, it's like, I've heard of you, it's like, no, but we built it to, when I left, to a $25 million company, and, you know, a lot, lot of knocks and bruises, but we were very mm -hmm. proud of the organization we we built, but during the process, the last two years, Kurt was diagnosed with lung cancer mm -hmm. and died. It took him about a year, and after he passed away, I just, he was 53, and I just thought maybe there was something I'd missed doing in my life, mm -hmm. you know, watching someone actively die, and he was my brother-in-law, he was one of my best friends, right. um, watching the decisions he made, it wasn't about how hard he worked, it was all about, you know, what his passions were mm -hmm. and, and things like that, so I started reevaluating my end goal a little bit. Okay. And then so you decided to open Kurt's Cafe. No, I decided to go to college for the first time. I was 48. I'd never been to college. I'd shared with you earlier, I, would, I had a teenage son, so Trevor is 30 now. Mm -hmm. And Trev came up to me once and said, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to college. Because you didn't, and you did fine. Yeah. And I'm like, not happening, ever. I'm going to go to college. <laughs> so at 48, I went to a community college, Oakton, okay. and got my AA. And then I got wicked addicted to education and went to DePaul and got my bachelor's degree in social justice or something like okay. that. And I learned about uh, restorative justice, which is, it's a concept in listening. And I started sitting with young adults who were incarcerated. I did go down to the prisons and I started listening to what they were saying about why they were incarcerated, why they were gangbanging, why they were selling weed. Like all this stuff that I definitely, you know, I was very middle low class when I was being raised, but you know, I just made assumptions, mm -hmm. and I walked into a lot of the circles I sat with with these kids with assumptions, and I learned that all my assumptions were wrong, mm -hmm. and that they were not lazy kids. They wanted jobs, and one thing that I found out in our in our nonprofit industry that I'm in now is we were giving them resume writing classes, and they would smart. come back and say, "No, it's not smart," because these are teenagers, right? Okay. And they're saying, I want a job. And you're saying, here's this nice class, and we're gonna teach you how to write your name. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, no, I want a job. Oh, and then we're gonna true. give them these yeah. other things. We're gonna teach you how to interview. I want a job. Okay, and see. they're not mature enough to know they're not ready for a job, and they need the resume writing, and they need how to interview, and they need nice clothes, and all that kind of, they don't have that um, knowledge. Right. All they say is, I want a job. And we kept handing them other toys that we thought would appease them. And when I started really listening to them, and the concept of restorative justice is listen from your heart, mm -hmm. I heard what they said, finally. It took a long time, like yeah. four years, but I finally heard it. And I'm like, 
well then, let's try to get you a job. Okay. And the first couple of kids, I'm like, you're not job ready. You're not, you don't have a resume. And you don't have any skills. And you don't have the right clothes to wear. Mm-hmm. And you don't have a GED. And you have a felony. And all these barriers. Right. And I couldn't find anyone that would provide them with a job while they were learning all these other things. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the youth that we work with, they, they are street workers, right. as in they're either um, being violated physically or they're selling weed or they're selling other things or they're running guns whatever is up but they're making money it's a job right right so at Kurtz we give them what looks like a job which feels like a job Um, we pay them a small stipend so they have a purpose to their day like I have to go to work but then while they're there we teach them all the other stuff okay so we we do kind of like a, a quick quick movement of the hands type of sort of thing. Yeah. So they think they're doing one thing, but at 10 o'clock they go into a class that teaches them anger management, and resume writing, and table etiquette, and safe sex, and all these other kind of things they didn't know they needed. Mm-hmm. But once they learn it, they're like, you know, damn, I wish I would have known that. I would have da 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 So we, <laughs> we teach that, but they have a job while they're with us. So then, but people can actually come to Kurt's Cafe, purchase food, drinks, pastries, etc. Exactly. And, but the people you employ on, how, how do you describe those employees? Specifically? Students. The students? We call them students. The students? Are they the ones responsible for coming in at like 5 a.m. and creating all the pastries? Because I feel it's a lot of bakeries and stuff to you, yeah. right? Okay. We, we have okay. very limited staff. Okay. But the staff we have is amazing. Mm-hmm. All the staff is trained kind of in... Um, social emotional transitional work and it's uh like our our chef does 90 percent of his work is in coaching the students how to use the knife appropriately like i.e on the cutting board not on each other yeah so we do a lot of this social emotional training on the floor all day long but people can come into the cafe get scones sandwiches salads we do a lot of catering Mm -hmm. and they train in three positions one is the dishwasher maintenance area and then they go to the front of the house and learn the register and busing and all that and then back of the house where they learn basic basic kitchen training okay and then we get them jobs so i worked in um staffing for a few years and one of the things i ran into as an issue was running a background check on someone and just per policy of a company they're like if they have xyz against them like no this person's a terrible person and you know, fortunately, unfortunately for me, I have a record to some degree, and I've had people hold that against me. Obviously, everyone you're working with, you're people who hold that against them. What are you telling them when they go into a job interview or situation where that's held against them? How do you kind of keep them on the straight and narrow, or just like positive thinking, like don't worry, move on from this? Like once they're at your place, it makes total sense, but for their next opportunity or the opportunity after that, it's not going to go away. Right. So that's that's one of the things we work really hard on. We have two right now. We have two great volunteers, Marsha and Donna, and they teach them how to resume write, which okay. is just words on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But then they take their story and they teach them how to share it. Okay. So you know, I, I say in this video that I had to do mm-hmm. was it's not like the story will go away. It will not. Mm-hmm. What they did, they did. And granted, you know, you as a white man can at least get in front of someone and yeah. get a good interview. Oh yeah. My my kids can't even get a good interview because of the color of their skin and because of their names. Mm -hmm. But if we can get them in front of people, then they can tell the story. Mm -hmm. And they can talk about how, you know, if if they have a felony, it might have just been, you know, they were perhaps selling or something, but they had a gun on them. That immediately becomes a felony. 
I, and I don't advocate any of it. I wish they didn't have to carry guns. I wish they didn't have to sell. But, you know, if they have a domestic and they have a gun on them, it becomes a felony. So it's all these things that if you're African-American, it does get escalated into a felony like in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So we just teach them how to tell the story. Okay. And then we make relations, uh, relationships with um, people who are hiring so we can get them in the door. Mm -hmm. And then if they're able to tell their story in the best possible way, then they can get the jobs themselves. And one thing that we do that other people don't do is we help our students learn why it's important to keep the job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if you were ever doing staffing for restaurants, like we have a wicked high turnover. There's, I've had, um, I think, three guys at a restaurant in Evanston for like three years. That doesn't happen in quick service Correct. restaurants. Like, <laughs> people bolt. And we have that kind of longevity. We're so lucky to get a job. We tend to stay with you. It may take us two or three shots, but you know that's that's how we have to navigate that. It's 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 sad. I get it. You know, I would I, when I had food for thought, I sold it to my sister. But when I, when I had food for thought, I was running HR, and you know I would file everything like if I'm got um, an ad out for a dishwasher and I got 200 apps, and 50 of them were felons, I'd throw them away. So I, I get both sides, yeah. but relationships, getting to know our kids is the answer. I mean, it makes total sense to me. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still humans that still make big decisions. And assumably, in society, people forgive for things. And there's plenty of examples out there. I think people will always judge for some reason. Mm -hmm. and like, oh, this one example, this one time I read a newspaper in, like, New York City. So I'm not going like, to give this person a shot. But it's an unfortunate situation. Yeah. For you, when the people come into the system... What are their kind of expectations? So their expectations are, I'm here, I need a job, and then they learn, and then when are they kind of ready to, to move on to something better? Because I, I feel some people who might graduate wouldn't want to come back for additional support or help because where they're comfortable, or they fail to find a new job. How does everything kind of play into that? That's a great question. So, in, like, in our pre-interview, when right. we were just talking about stuff, you and I, mm. you talked a lot about your family and when your family does this and when your family does that and that mm. type of sort of thing. So, when the students graduate our program, which we try to make it about three months, okay. and sometimes it's a year, okay. but three months is, like, an ideal, um, they're still part of our family. Right. So, they can always come back. Okay. And so, we have full-time social workers at both of our cafes. We have two cafes right now. Mm. And they can always come back for social, emotional help, mm. for social service help with getting a new apartment or with dancing around another line if they've caught a case or whatever it may be our social workers a lot of PTSD um, will work with them for free okay. they can also come back and eat so you know is even some of the jobs that you've had um, we don't always make enough to pay our bills and eat right? right so that allows us the opportunity to borrow from people that we shouldn't be um, they can always come back and eat so okay. they, they get that solid kind of thing um, it's like nutrition for the soul type yeah. sort of gig and then, too, when they come in, so I've got a guy I'm waiting right now to see if he passes GED, and he'll get, if he fails or if he passes, I don't really care. He's, he went and he did it, right? Yeah. He'll get a hug. He'll get a lunch. He'll get me cheering for him. I mean, we, we have to start appreciating their successes and right. teach them that their successes are very valued. Mm -hmm. We're not like AYSO soccer where everyone gets a badge. It's not like that, but everyone does get a hug. I remember when I first ever... 
Congratulations, you finished the year in baseball trophy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I grew up kind of very competitively. My like my dad literally had boxes of trophies downstairs. And I would ask my friends, like, doesn't your dad have boxes and boxes of trophies? Or like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense, right? So my dad's a very competitive guy. And I got my like, congratulations, you like finished the year out trophy. I'm like, what am I gonna do with this? <laughs> I, I, I get like why society went that way. But it really makes everyone like, it, it, there, there's no semblance or there's no value there. Like, you actually accomplished something. It's just like, you survived. Like, you did it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which should be just getting up and getting through a day yeah. type of sort of thing. <laughs> but we do, we do tend to acknowledge our student success on a different level than society because mm. society has also taken every opportunity to kick the shit out of them yeah. every other step. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we, we celebrate small successes. Like, if you get a state ID, mm. which can take us three months to get a state ID for a kid, oh, yeah. that that's straight-up celebration. You mm. know, that's hard work. You have to, you know, I, I, I've taken a lot of students and you have to stand in front of this person who has attitude and doesn't want to work for the state, mm-hmm. and they tell you, you know, you can't get it unless you have, you know, an 18-year-old kid. Well, do the Comcast bill come in your name to this address? Like, no, I've been in prison for four years. Yeah. Okay? And so they don't have anything that came to their address in their name, so they can't get an ID. And obviously they don't have an ID yeah. to show that they need an ID. They don't have a birth certificate. They don't have a social. They didn't get kicked out of their house or sent to prison with all that stuff. So they have nothing. And it can take me as an educated woman three months to get them that. Mm-hmm. But you stand in front of someone and say, yes, I am homeless. I sleep on the street. Yeah. So how can I get this still? And, and proclaim that to the judges in court and then proclaim it to the people at the DMV who put it over the loudspeaker. And the whole thing is just a, a kick in the teeth for three months straight. Something that really like drew me to having our conversation together, I'm going to try to phrase this uh, appropriately, is my view on things in society is people give like charity for something like very basic premises like give that homeless guy like a piece of food or something mm-hmm. that's great grand excellent but I'm more of the sense of like help them get somewhere right kind of what you're doing it's like put them in an environment to succeed so they're not just looking for the next dollar or the next piece of food but they can go out and make the changes in their life and I, and I don't like argue people on this point, but that's just kind of like where I feel is like I want to help someone in a long-term perspective, and when I choose like help people in different regards, just I can't help them move along. And I'm like, I'm gonna be your guide for this. I'm not gonna hold your hand the whole way. And it's really cool. Like kind of what you do is like you're always there. You're supporting them along the way, and it's not some regimented like oh you're kicked out. It's you're here, but like at some point the was the roosters to fly the coop or whatever. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, we, we raise our children, hopefully, with wings so they can yeah. fly, but they always know they can come home. And I think that most people that look like me, I'm a white woman, um, we know that our kids know that they can always come home, right? And I always knew I could go home. So I took great risks in my life because I knew that no matter what mistake I made, my mother would welcome me back, maybe discipline me, but welcome me back. And my brothers and sisters would do the same. Our kids don't have that opportunity. The law does not allow them to make a mistake. If they make a mistake or their parents or their community or our community, um, they go to prison. And it's a real quick, you know, school to pipeline or to prison pipeline. It's very real and it needs to stop, but ours is the stopgap. But also we, we teach our students, so 
you know, when you come into our program, it's awesome. We're going to feed you. We're going to love you. We're going to applaud you. We're going to do all this stuff. We're going right. to teach you. We're going to help you get jobs. However, this is not like Medicare, Medicaid yeah. cards. This is not a handout. You have to make the money to run the program. So if you don't show up for work, there's no money to pay you. Okay. That's just the bottom line. We're 50%, 46% funded through cash register sales. Okay. So it's not a 50-50 split. It's by no means are the students supporting our program. Yeah. But we make them believe that. Like, if you don't work, you don't get paid. Whereas Medicare, Medicaid, those are free things. Right. And I don't think they're bad. Many of our students have survived very okay on them. Mm. But they're not everything. And none of the kids I've ever served want to be on those services. They don't want link cards. They want to work for a living. Mm -hmm. But it takes time to teach them that. It took me from my the time my kids were born until, you know, probably when they were 18 to teach them that. Right. These kids have never learned it. So they're coming to us. They look like adults, but they don't know that lesson. How do people find your program, or how do you find people to add into the program? I don't think there's, like, any issue in that regard. Like, what is the connector there? Like, how do people... Um, we have a waiting list at both of our cafes. So both okay. of them are in Evanston right now. Mm -hmm. They find us through parole and probation officers. Okay. So a lot of our, our gentlemen come to us on bracelets, which are monitoring bracelets, yeah, yeah, yeah. so they can't Doesn't get matter. a real job. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um, always look good with an outfit. Um, but they're hard. You can't work with a bracelet because, you know, you could call into the parole officer and say, you know, he's going to work Monday through Thursday, right. 9 to 2, and they may call in to, to get movement at 8.30, and they're like, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to get them full-time placement if they're on a bracelet. Okay. Um, but they come from parole, probation, the court, social workers, and family members and friends. Okay. And so how many people do you guys usually have in the program at once? What's kind of at, at two cafes at this point? What's mm -hmm. kind of the general? We have about five students in each cafe okay. a day. And we have about 30 graduates a year. Okay. Um, but one of the things that we don't put in our literature is that we don't um, work with the... The kids, we wouldn't work with you, honestly. So you're white, you, you're privileged, you're, you maybe made a mistake. We don't with the ki work with kids who have just like a bump. Like, yeah. you know, you're just out there selling because you want a new tennis shoes or something. Like, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, most of our kids are homeless. Most of our kids have dropped out of high school. Mm -hmm. Most of our boys have been in prison. Most of our girls are victims of domestic violence or staying in unsafe housing. Right. Like, they have to have a whole bunch of checks against them mm -hmm. in order for to be in our program. Okay. We don't take like the low-hanging fruit that we can have high success rates. It's that's just not. Other people are doing it, and they're doing it great. So we didn't want to do that. So that regard, do you have any uh, notable successes that like someone went out and <clears throat> outside of you know personal successes for them? Like they got a job, they started their family, and they're supporting their family. Anything that's kind of noteworthy? Or, yeah, yeah. Um, I can say that. Our success rate is quite notable. Um, so the recidivism rate for young adults in Illinois is 86%. Okay. So not for adults, but young adults. It's when we only do teenagers. Um, so 86% out of 100 kids will go back into prison. Our recidivism rate is 3%. Okay. And one of the kids, let's see, did he email me? I text them like every other day because I haven't I haven't gotten them straight through the program yet, but yeah. we're working on it. 82% um, of our kids are in jobs. Um, I can't even count on both hands how many are in safe housing, how many have their own apartments. We help them furnish their apartments, how many have. Unfortunately, we have too many young women having children, but we help them navigate that. We try mm -hmm. to make it only one child if they've you know, made that choice. 
um, most of our kids are away from uh, domestic violence situations. So a lot of our girls will stay in home so that the, they have a roof over their children's heads. We've been able to move all of, right now, I don't think we have anyone in that situation. So all of our kids are doing great. You know, there's like that 12%, is that 82 plus? Um, that they're still making a decision whether or not they want to make the change, but we have a young man in the in the cafe at, on Central Street in Evanston right now who's, I think this is the try, um, but it's okay. Each time he goes like three weeks, and then it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then he comes back, and then we go the next three weeks, and we have a great curriculum. He follows a curriculum, and this time, like the two new managers there, didn't know him and he came back and, and we had a little meeting is he ready to try again and um, both managers like he's the best student we've ever had and I'm like call the last manager like, she wouldn't have said that but he's he's an awesome kid he just we all get ready at a different time I, I totally agree that last statement right everyone gets ready at a different time I think that's something that I should you know appreciate more is people have backgrounds that have decisions life's changed them so they grow from something. It's when are you ready to make the right decisions based on the experiences you've had, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of given that, where do you kind of see Curse Cafe going? You guys are going to open a few more locations. Obviously, you're as busy as it gets now. Yes. Like, is, are you going to... Obviously, you want to support as much as possible, but is that just going to be, in your mind, a local Chicago thing? Are you going to possibly expand throughout that? What's kind of the longer-term vision at this point? The longer term is definitely to help more youth. Right. So whatever that may look like, we've yeah. just um, we're lucky enough to hire an amazing social. So we have a male social worker at our boys' cafe, a female at our women's cafe, and now we hired um, another social worker who is um, trauma informed. Okay. So she deals with a lot of the PTSD and all that kind of stuff, and she's also working with our graduates. I think she's taking them on like 14 trips in the next, experiential trips in the next like um, month and a half. She's amazing. So, oh, yes, please. Thank you. And so um, our goal is then to serve more students either through our graduate program or well, now we're looking at opening a cafe in Holland Park cool. that would serve Waukegan and North Chicago students because they have a, like a 62% graduation rate. Mm -hmm. That's like... We've got to figure this out as a state. And then I'd love to open one in Chicago. So uh, with a business background, I know opening franchises and running companies cost money. Mm -hmm. You said right around 50% of your you know, revenue comes from the cafe itself. If you want me asking, where are you kind of getting the funding to open another cafe before they're creating revenue to do all that? Well, that's a good question. So this is my first attempt at nonprofit, and right. I, I can't say I'm great at it. I don't. I've never asked for money mm -hmm. ever, even still in the five and a half years yeah. we've been open, um, which makes a really bad uh, dr executive director. I'm I'm more of a founder, visionary person. Okay. So right now we write a ton of grants. I have an amazing uh, part-time director of development, amazing, and then we have a lot of people that support us in that. Okay. We have a ton of donations coming individually because people come to the cafe, thank you so much, and they can see their money at work, right? So um, if you come into the cafe and you donate 100 bucks, you can see how Chad or John Thomas or somebody, they're like moving forward. Like you can see your money at work. And unlike other organizations, and, and I feel really bad sometimes who we compete with for money, 
because they can't show their product and we can show your money away. So a lot of private donations, a lot of grants, a couple of big funders, which have been amazingly gracious. But moving forward, we have a team in Holland Park that are raising funds. They've been doing it for a year and a half, two years. And they're at about 50,000, but the reach is 250. So they're just working little by little at it. We just hired a grant writer for that location. So we're trying, but if any of your podcast listeners have any concept on how to franchise a nonprofit, yeah. I would love to learn because I know how to do it at Food for Thought. I had 25 restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother and I navigated the whole thing. We set up the concept. Right. We had everything. We could open a restaurant in 24 hours. We, we were good. But I don't know how to do it in nonprofit. I don't know if people are going to pay, pay us GNAs or how anything's going to work. We're making yeah. it up. Yeah, we'll definitely note that for in the show notes for sure. But kind of to your point of not knowing where your money goes, mm-hmm. I don't talk about this to many people, but <clears throat> for years, a few years, I hosted like a breast cancer awareness event oh, where I would have people show up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. And my dad started asking me, he's like, this is all great. Like, obviously, my mom feels good about it. And your friends show up or don't show up or whatever, like, you know. Uh, like plus or minus a couple people, but what 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 do you, what are you getting out of this? And my, he's like, you can just like cut a check to Susan Bucoman or like spend more time with your mom. Like come home for a weekend. Mm-hmm. I said, that's true. Like I could go do a run or something. Nothing wrong with that, right? I'm like, I want to make more of an immediate impact. So like, where can I spend my time for certain things to do that? Like let's say my two thousand dollars I raise goes to research. Well, good job. Like, is it ever going to be cured? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I hope it does. But for me, with, like, the things I want to accomplish and, like, the passion I wanted to uh, pursue something, you can make a difference. Makes total sense. Like, Curse Cafe, people can come in, get to know who they're affecting, and be like, oh, awesome. Like, cheer them out along the way. Mm-hmm. And it does make a difference. Yeah. But I think, like, people who do stuff like you, like, mm-hmm. people... You know, we can all be critics, and we can be critics, like, really loud, as we know right now in our in our society. But I believe that people who do like what you're doing, um, you're raising awareness, right? So the, the people that, were, you know, donated the $2,000, if it's 200 people, you know, in a couple, three weeks or in a month, they may think, wow, you know, I just got a bonus. I'm going to pay tax on it. I think I'll, I'll send it back to the breast cancer because I knew Mrs., you yeah. know, and I think just awareness building is something that we don't appreciate in fundraising. Agreed. That is huge. And getting the word out there that your mother is a breast cancer survivor and like Kurt was a, a lung cancer, unfortunately, fatality. Mm. But if I can speak to that boldly, then other people can come and ask questions or feel comfortable speaking about mm-hmm. it. That's important because I think young men who lose their mother to breast cancer, I don't think we know the affection about that. Oh, I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I mean, you haven't lost your mother, but. Yeah, I, I was lucky in that regard. Like, I, I still remember the call. Like, my parents called me, and I remember I, where exactly I was in Madison driving down the street, going to meet, which friend remember I was going to meet for dinner, too. Mm-hmm. And then he like, kept calling me because I was on the phone with my parents. He's like, what's wrong? And like, I never got to tell him, like, my parents just called me to tell me my mom is going through breast cancer right now, and like we don't know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Like, but at the end of the day, right? You know, everything affects you. So, not a fan of the phrase "doesn't kill you, makes you stronger" because you like lose like four limbs. Like, doesn't yeah. make you stronger. <laughs> but like, I totally agree that like you know, different situations you go through really affect your life moving forward and that's why I kind of like working with things in that regard too and that's so cool like what you're doing is just really making a difference in everyone's lives 
but are you going to do this forever? Are you going to step away at some point? Uh, like, it's a good question. So one of the differences between me and like I'm watching these students um, from Florida and it's I have a really, I have a hard time carrying all those stories. So yeah. I just got an office in November, and the only reason is, and I love being in the cafes. Like that's where I, yeah. that's my jam. I love going back to the kitchen and being able to prep. I, I was the uh, director of catering at the pump room. I was the chef of Food for Thought for 20 years. I like my industry, and now I'm in this office where it's like white walls and. No one's with me most of the time, and I'm there because the student stories were crippling me. Like, there were too many. My heart couldn't handle it. Yeah. Um, I was taking the stories home. I was not as happy as I could have been because I don't know how to compartmentalize okay. it. Social workers can do that. I can't. Um, so that, this is safer for me. I feel a little bit better, although, okay. whatever, I checked my phone 30 times to see if Carter passed his test. Right. Um, so I, I haven't really separated, but I've separated a little bit more. I think for my long term, I think I would be best used as a visionary for the organization. Okay. I, I am very good at that. I can, I can see what's possible, and that's how I started the cafe. But the day-to-day -day execution is difficult for me mm -hmm. just because of the capacity with the stories. How does that play out in a general nonprofit situation? I feel a lot of nonprofits I'm aware of. I went to a nonprofit like Lunch and Learn a couple weeks ago. It's actually really fun. But there's just a lot of people that are board members or you know, kind of that regard. Mm -hmm. They're not a part of the day-to-day. How would you stay connected? Maybe the time you spent in it, but like stay connected to like what's important. Like I feel as board members, a lot of times they just kind of look from the outside and don't understand the nitty gritty of what's going in there. Yeah. How would you kind of stay sharp in that regard too? Like let's say you opened a couple other cities. You know, judgment call. How do you know what's different about those cities than the city to get people comfortable? Or is it just from experience you have that that reach? Well, one of the things I did when I opened Kurt, so mm. I wrote the business plan, okay, and smart. my son, who was 18 at the time, yeah. helped me, so I had a youth view in my view, and I peddled it everywhere to make some make someone else engaged in working mm. with these kids, and no one would touch it. They're like teenagers, no. Inspiration Corporation does adults, okay. and they have a higher success rate. I wanted only to work with teenagers, and they were like, no. <laughs> Everyone told me no. So luckily I have a wonderful husband. He allowed me to mortgage our house, which is a, the worst business move, like business one-on-one, <laughs> yeah. what you don't do, what I did. Um, but I just, I kept hearing the kids' stories and I'm like, Shit, somebody's gotta believe them. Like someone's gotta believe that they really wanna make a change and no one believed them because an 86% um, recidivism rate. So I, I, I think for me, my goal was always only to teach the world mm. that the kids are worth the money yeah. they're worth the time um they're worth the effort they're worth everything because if they reoffend, it's always for a higher case so republicany it's a good good use of money incarceration costs seventy eight thousand dollars a student our program costs seventy six hundred dollars one time yeah. we incarcerate for three to five so that's a whole you know twenty one thousand $21,000 or $7,000. That's a no-brainer. But the other thing is they come out so broken that when they reoffend, it's really bad stuff. Oh, yeah. So there's a reason that this whole thing is working. But what I did, not because I was smart, but I did, um, 
right before I launched. So I had the best, like 50 odd pages of a business plan. I had the financials, they were beautiful, everything. Um, and so Trevor, my our, our son was running a program in Evanston and like five guys had just come out of prison and like were going into the program he was running. He was only like 22 at the time. And so I asked him if he could get me a minute with him and I could show him the plan, yeah. tell him the idea, you know, like, woohoo me. And they like, they, they laughed at me. They told me that it was another white woman trying to save him. They would never go. And I'm like, but I'm going to feed you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to teach you all this stuff and I'm going to help you get jobs. They're like, we're not coming. We want a job. And if you can't give us a job today, we're not coming. So I rewrote everything that they asked me. Every single thing they asked me, I gave them. And that's why we're successful. So going into another community, I would make sure that I sat down with a group of kids from Waukegan or North Chicago and say, what specifically do you want me to do? And if they tell me stand on my head in the corner and twirl, that's what I'll do. Because that'll make the program, right? right. It's not my program. Yeah. Um, I've never been an African-American male. I have been his young woman, but I've never been an African-American man or an African-American woman. So I go to the people I'm serving, and if they tell me to do something, I do it. With Always with a caveat. If it doesn't work, we'll change it. But I'm serving you, and you're not serving me. So what's the best way for people to find where you guys are? Uh, www.kurtzcafe.org. Okay. So and that's our website. And where are you guys located in Evanston at this point? 2922 Central and 1813 Dempster, both in Evanston. Okay, perfect. And I'm Susan at kurtzcafe.org. Awesome. Anything else you want to leave us with before we sign off? Um, the only thing, this is my newest thing that I really want people to, to like, challenge themselves with, mm -hmm. is to really think um, more than once about judging people when they see them on the street and judging people when they see resume. Right. I think that it's important to hear people's stories, put down our cell phones, listen to people. Um, don't judge kids who don't dress like you because maybe they can't afford anything else. Don't yeah. judge kids who drag their pants. Maybe they don't have a belt. Uh, don't judge kids who are in dirty clothes. Maybe they can't afford a laundry mat. Oh, yeah. um, those kind of things that we're so quick to judge on, it's really, there's stories behind every student I serve and I've never served a student I haven't loved. So they're worth our time. Awesome. Thanks for the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, peace. Thank you. So, very uh, interesting conversation here. As I mentioned, we recorded it at Bites Restaurant in Lakeview. But uh, we got into the nitty-gritty here. Um, she and I had a deep conversation both before and after the interview. And it's absolutely fantastic what her and her team are doing over there at Kurt's Cafe. And it makes a lot of sense to me, you know. They're helping people out any way they can, both um, kind of with a job perspective and from a personal perspective to kind of grow themselves. And it's just great what they're able to do for the community. I'm so glad that people are able to support that. So if you're up in the Evanston area, definitely swing by for some lunch or dinner at Kurt's Cafe. This episode is sponsored by our friends over at StayCall. StayCall is a social wagering app for the next generation. With StayCall, you can easily challenge your friends to games of skill or even be a third-party judge between mutual friends. Stake your hard-earned cash, a night out in the town, or even just your dignity. They strive to be one of the most entertaining and most interactive social wagering platform on the market. StayCall is an app that you download on the App Store. Uh, right now it's on iOS only, soon to be coming into Android, where you can challenge your friends to some fun games. I've challenged some friends to a game of ping pong. I've challenged some game friends to a round of hot wing eating contest. Right now I'm in the challenge of Movember, things of that nature. Absolutely incredible. 
Ever have that friend that takes a bet with you and then at the end of the word doesn't want to pay up and says, bro, we never shook hands? No longer a problem with stake hall. You can put it up on social media, share with your friends, get a third-party judge, problem solved. Check them out at stakehall.io. That's S-T-A-K-E-H-A-U-L dot I-O. Or go to the iOS and iOS store and download them. Stakehall. Check it out now. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Pod Directory, or SoundCloud. That way, you'll get our latest episodes sent right to your device when they come out every week. For reference, those are all linked up right in the show notes. While you're in there, feel free to leave us a review. If you do, all I can say is two words. Endless gratitude. Writing reviews helps us understand how we can improve the podcast as we all continue along this fun adventure in fashion, fitness, and food. Thank you.